Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining me today is Steve Lathrop. Thank you for joining me, Steve. Well, thanks for having me, Amy. Appreciate it. Really looking forward to letting our audience hear your journey. So let's start with my favorite part of these podcasts, which is exactly that. Talk to the audience about your journey into life, but primarily financial services. Well, you know, um, I, when I actually graduated high school, I became a, I went, went to college, was a business and econ major. And so I knew I wanted to work in finance. And um, I went straight through and got my master's right after my bachelor's degree. And at the time I was kind of on a CFO career path. And I started my first job working towards getting my CPA certification. And all of a sudden I realized I didn't like the whole corporate uh, job. And I decided I wanted to be um, independent, more self-employed, but I didn't have any money at all to start a business. And so talking to people, um, I was talking to people who were insurance brokers and I was talking to people who were stockbrokers about the commissions and the opportunities um, to have unlimited income potential. And I met a guy from Prudential and they had just acquired Beish Securities to form Prudential Beish. And he said, hey, if you're thinking about insurance, you're thinking about you know, securities, why don't you come work for me and you can do both. And so uh, I went ahead and got all the licenses and started with Prudential but after a year, I realized that being a captive agent, not being independent, was going to be really, really difficult. And, and then I continued my journey into becoming a broker. But I was even at that point still through a life insurance uh, company as my broker dealer. And, um, and then I met Jim Regetz about uh, 1997 and uh, joined Newport Advisory not too long after that. And uh, it, it was a fantastic opportunity for me. So you mentioned that you realized corporate world wasn't for you and you wanted to be self-employed. Was it always self-employed as a financial professional in some way, shape or form, or did you consider other self-employment options? No, it was always uh, uh, as, a, as a commission type uh, financial advisor. Uh, candidly, it didn't take the capital to you know, start a sporting goods store or all the other stupid ideas I had in high school. You know, this was a business and even when I went independent, it required no capital at all. And even as my firm grew, the easiest thing to do is bring on people. The hardest thing to do is grow the firm organically. But, you know, the buying a computer, buying a desk, buying a chair, those were not insurmountable uh, capital investments. And very few businesses offer the cash flow and the, um, the opportunity to, to have really superior incomes. So do you think if you hadn't met Jim um, and Newport along the way, you would have stayed on the same path? I mean, did you know that independence is where you wanted to be? Oh, yeah. No, I did know independence is where I wanted to be. And um, the securities were a smaller part of my business. I actually was working in what I used to call financial planning for business owners. And the areas were executive compensation, how to attract and retain people. Uh, employee benefits, um, you know, how to uh, attract and retain people, and then the, the personal estate planning. And the securities came in because I was doing by, uh, I'm sorry, deferred comp agreements. I was setting in, you know, retirement plans and 
candidly, we make more money on the medical, the life and the disability, the core benefits than we do on the retirement plans. But being able to offer all those things uh, allowed us to grow pretty rapidly. And I was working with firms that at the time didn't even know that they could offer Fortune 500 level benefits to 30 or 40 employees. You were leveraging those CFO skills. Maybe uh, uh, they didn't know it, but that's what you were doing, right? Yeah, no, no I, and I was very targeted. I actually talked to them very specifically about the problems that others in their situation were having, and they were receptive to solutions. And then being able to show them the whole range of products, like, hey, I'm not here to pitch you, you know, fund A or plan B. Let, let's talk about what works best for you and show you what's out there. That's great. So you've been with Cambridge for more than 20 years. Thank you for your partnership. We value it tremendously. Over those years, talk about how you've seen the industry evolve. What are the, you know, the main things that you've seen really change in this industry? Well, I can, I, I can tell you back in the 80s, it was the wild, wild west relative to what it is now in, uh, from compliance and everything. So it's a much more professional um, you know, industry now than it was then. I don't have to tell you about compliance requirements have, have gone up. I think literally a magnitude. I think it's literally 10 times more complex than it was back then. As far as the, um, the clients, their needs haven't changed so much, but the products that are available have evolved quite a bit. I mean, when I first started out, it was mostly a share mutual funds and we were looking for breakpoints. And then I could do A shares at NAV and I was a rock star. And then, um, you know, into the evolution of the thousands of uh, ETFs that we have and the way we can construct portfolios. But those are evolutionary changes. The clients themselves, um, they still have the same fundamental needs, the same fundamental goals. The problem is there's so much more noise out there. I mean, you can't, you can't go to any website without being solicited about some you know, investment opportunity. And there's always someone who's 10Xing their money in 90 days. And uh, I think that creates an awful lot more confusion. And for us as advisors, an opportunity to help remind them of what really works and what's really important about what we do. So how do you do that? You have a client out there who's actually, you know, one of their buddies pointed him to some website at a dinner party because there was this great way to make a killing on some such thing. Uh, maybe cryptocurrency, just to use an example that I think is a big popular one out there now. Talk about how you handle that with that client. When they come in and start talking to you about that, how do you, how do you eliminate the noise? Well, fortunately, I'm, um, because I only work with business owners, I never really work with individuals. I always work with business owners. So they're somewhat immune to that. Um, now, they may actually bring their kids in to talk to me because they're not so immune to that. And so, um, but if someone asked me about that, I'd say, well, how's that fit in with your plan? And how's that fit in with your goal? So your goal is to retire, and let's just say it's 30 years, and, and this is what we've established you need to do to hit those goals. I'm not opposed to putting a small amount of money into cryptocurrency, but you're not going to do it through me. So tell me how much you want me to sell, and you're on your own. I, I don't want any part of that trade at all. And, and the same thing with every other get-rich-quick scheme. And forget about the compliance things. Forget about the selling away and all the other reasons that would make it difficult. 
I didn't like real estate partnerships and energy partnerships in the 80s because I didn't understand how it was good for the investors. And when they all went bust, I looked smart, but I wasn't smart. I just didn't understand it. And that's why I didn't sell it. So everything that I've talked to my clients about is something that I understand how it fits in with their goals and objectives. And bringing them back to your, I like what you said, bringing them back to their core values of what they're trying to accomplish and how it fits in, I think is a really important component of it. So, so I know you've served with the Navy, so thank you for your service. What can you tell us about your time in the military and how do you feel that experience influenced your life and your career choices? Well, um, I got my direct commission in 1992 and that was from a mentor of mine in this business named Mike Whitmore. And um, when I got my direct commission, I was going straight into the reserves and I didn't have to take any time off for boot camp. It was a very unique program because of the success I'd had in my civilian career. They said, we'll just make you an officer and you'll have to figure it out, the, figure out the Navy stuff, but you know, we're gonna have you do logistics and things that we know you know how to do. 9-11 happened nine years later. So it went from one week and a month, two weeks a year, to deployments um, and I would be gone for as many as 15 months at a time. So I, I was really fortunate that I had already um, started working with a gym. So obviously I can't do trading when I'm in Iraq. And, and the fact that I didn't have any computer or a phone was actually just the technical problem. I also had the compliance stuff that I couldn't do it for. And so had I not had a backup plan, a contingency for how my clients could be served when I was gone. And at the time we were doing it because I was just maybe out of the country for two weeks and all of a sudden it becomes 15 months. So um, in 2004, it was a challenge on our business because a lot of my revenue could not be replicated when I was gone. Uh, my partner and I at the time um, diversified a little bit and then, I don't know if you recall, but we actually sold benefit partners to USI and I retained the securities because they weren't interested in, in doing that. But I had to remind them, all these people who own these companies are also individual clients. You know, we have their IRA rollers, I have their 529 plans, and you can't tell them to go pound sand because what you bought will walk out the door with them. And so, you know, we've had to, to work that with Jim uh, since 2008. And then I had subsequent deployments, another 15 months in 2009, another 15 months in uh, 2013, then another 15 months in 2019. Any particular skills that you've learned in that experience in the service that help you in financial services or vice versa? Yeah, I think both of them. The military is, I always thought it was interesting how the military looks so much towards management books and how um, business schools teach so much military things as well. Whether it's, you know, Message to Garcia or Sun Tzu and the Art of War, there's always been this fascination. And I actually went to Claremont where Peter Drucker was our most famous uh, professor there. And his first book was called The Strategy of Business and his publishers didn't like the idea of his putting strategy because that was a military term. But, but he could actually see that business was starting to, to take the lessons they learned in World War II and, and scale them into enterprise. But honestly, the leadership I learned in the military, I think was, was helpful with my clients, um, being decisive, you know, having conviction 
but making allowances for doubts. And, um, you know, in the military, they talk about things being um, volatile and uncertain and complex. And uh, I think that perfectly describes the financial markets as well. And so when people would say, you know, talking about a, a situation in Afghanistan, you can't know. All you can do is think and believe. And I'd say, well, I'm pretty comfortable not being certain, but you know, having the certainty of my convictions and then making allowances for those doubts. There are a lot of synergies. One of my favorite authors from a military perspective is Jason Redman. We've had him at some of our events. You've probably heard him. And you're right, it is, his books are a lot about leadership and how to inspire others to follow and in times of uncertainty and that you sometimes have to step up and make a call when you don't have all the facts and on and on and on. So I, I think you're right. There are a lot of similarities there. That's for sure. Well, and I, I do think that I, I, I was a better officer in the military because of my civilian experiences. And I think I was a better business person because of my military experiences. So I think they were complimentary. Thank you again for your service, that's awesome. So talk about what you enjoy most about the financial services industry today. Well, the, um, what I enjoy most is just working with the clients and working with the teams and helping them to reach their goals. So um, anytime a client calls for me, it's not, a, it's not an interruption, it's a time to connect. And I always tell them, I, I'm, you know, I wanna be proactive, I wanna schedule regular calls, but if you've got a concern, if you've got an issue, particularly if something is changing, let's have a conversation and we'll, we'll talk about uh, how, to, how to deal with that. Uh, and whether it's a, a medical thing where they're gonna need more cash sooner than we were planning on, and then we can talk about what, what else we can do for them, you know, what other services are out there that may help them with their, with their situations. So solving problems, and working with the individuals and, um, and, and in candidly, the support I get from the staff. I still like talking to the younger people. I still like working on, you know, modeling portfolios. Yeah, that's great. So your son is also in the industry, I hear. How do you think your work affected his decision to venture into the business or did it? Well, um, his decision to become an economics major was not influenced by me at all. Uh, I think he all of a sudden really started getting uh, interested in that area. He started out as a history major, as I recall, but moved into economics. And so his sophomore year, he was interested in the markets and I had him do a project for me. Uh, I actually wanted him just to go back and look at a whole bunch of stocks I had screened and actually look in detail at their financials and do some basic analysis for me for really no reason other than me testing a theory. And I think that um, he had some great conclusions. He had some great insights. And so I called Jim and, and said, hey, is there any way you could do an internship with my son for the summer? And uh, he, he, Jim not only agreed to do that, but he said, wow, Michael's really great. We want to keep him on part time. So he finished his, his college career working part time and then started full time after he graduated. So he doesn't work in your business. No, he does not work in my business. Yes, exactly. You're talking a lot about the benefits of succession planning. You're not necessarily using it on a continuity succession basis, perhaps, you know, explicitly, but um, these are all the good reasons why, even if you've got an independent business and 
tend to act as a solo, it's still good to have a team behind you. Oh, 100%. And, and actually going back to, you know, when I first joined, I did not see 9-11 coming. But I did recognize that, hey, there'll be times when I'm out of the country for two or three weeks. And how am I going to solve that? And Jim was my solution. Once I got mobilized the first time. So I didn't think at the time about succession plan. I was thinking more about continuity. You know, in the military, we call that a coup plan, your continuity of operations plan. What are you going to do if? And, um, but that is a natural way also. Continuity of operations becomes a succession plan if you're doing it right. And I don't know that anybody can say, I'm going to be your advisor and it's going to be me and only me. Because I don't know that the market would want to trust that now. What happens when you're gone? Or even if you take a European vacation, what happens? It's a common question. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't asked so much even 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, for whatever reason. So let's continue talking about this younger generation of financial professionals for a moment, just entering the business. What's one piece of advice you would give them if they were thinking about getting into our business? Or what did you tell your son? Well, um, so my son, I didn't actually want to overly influence him. So sort of my influence was, hey, here's an internship. You know, uh, it'll look good in your resume. Uh, he, you know, he found that he, he had a passion for this business himself. But um, what I would tell anybody coming into this business is that you need to make sure that you're coming in for the right reasons. Candidly, uh, Amy, I was actually motivated by a chance to make $100,000. That was, you know, initially back in 1986, when I was looking at careers, I saw that this was an opportunity to make good money. I, it wasn't until after I, I came in and I realized that if you're not in it for the long run, if you're not in it for your client's um, best interests, you'll flame out. And I saw people that flamed out left and right, selling high commission products that were not in the client's best interest, that you know crashed and burned and people were upset. And even if there was no litigation, they still lost them as a client forever. So I always tried to put the client's interests first um, you have to be an expert. So I really think it's important to understand the products that you're selling. You don't have to stand, understand everything that's out there, but you do have to understand what it is you're selling. And, and candidly, if you don't understand it, don't sell it. Because if you can't understand it, your client sure as heck can't understand it. And, and frankly, to me, it's always suspicious when something's so complicated that smart people can't understand it. And I think that explains a lot of the, the investments that have blown up through the years as there was so much more complexity that uh, people didn't understand. Yeah, I agree. Let's get back to the military for a minute. An idea just um, surfaces. I was listening to you talk about it earlier. Do you think there's an opportunity for the financial services industry overall to possibly be more actively recruiting from people coming out of the military because there are so many synergies? Oh, I think it would be a fantastic area. I just don't know how many people can afford to put, um, you know, more experienced people on some sort of stipend salary or whatever while they train them. I mean, as a small firm, it was very, very difficult for me to bring somebody on, as I mentioned, you know, to commit to a seven or $80,000 salary as a starting point knowing that there was no revenue against that at all. And knowing that if I was really, really successful at training them and they became successful, 
I might actually be growing a future competitor. And, and I actually um, had quite a few people I'm still close to, but once they got to about $400,000 of, of gross income, they decided to leave us and set up their own shop. Yeah, you definitely have to work through those things, right? Ownership of such different models of the business and things like that. But rumor has it that this newer generation of independence is going to include more team working. So maybe the opportunity is to, to somehow create more of a, a teaming and a company that's around that particular model, perhaps. At some point, the industry is going to have to do some, you know, try some things in terms of providing, use the word stipend, but some different kind of, of financial. It's not going to be a commission. <laughs> it's not the future. Yeah, I don't know that people could do it the way I did it. I mean, the commissions were a lot higher when I started, and they were at least front-loaded, right? So I don't know how you would build up a salary off of a, you know, 50 basis or 75 basis point trail or even 100 basis points. So it's a lot harder. And, um, and then the big, you know, the big life insurance companies that used to say, hey, we'll give you $400 a week. There's less of that going on. And $400, I mean, it, it would have to be 1,000 now just to equal the 400 back in 86. Yeah, no, the model, the economic model definitely does look different, but um, it just may be a source that we should think about for the future. Well, absolutely. And from your seat, I don't know if you see the same things I see, but uh, the people that have the larger books are, are rapidly aging out of this business. And who are the, you know, the succession groups there behind them? That's exactly right. We're spending a lot of time on that, for sure. So, um, Steve, it doesn't sound like you have a lot of free time, perhaps, but giving back to the community, I believe, is very important to you. Talk about, it's the way I love to wrap this up, to let people know that there's other rewarding components to this career. Talk about some of the ways, some of the things you do in your free time and the ways you work to support your local community. Well, I, I just recently moved to Tennessee. And so um, to be honest with you, I haven't set up any of that in, in Tennessee. So um, my favorite thing was always a scouting um, in uh, California. Um, even before my son joined and after he had left the troop, I was still involved um, with that because um, I really got a kick out of um, you know, spending time with the younger boys and teaching them some outdoor skills and things like that. And then of course, church, um, and we were involved with the dog rescue. Um, but honestly, it really was between the Navy, which was 30 plus hours a week and the demands of this career. Um, I was working seven days a week for years at a time. Um, I did just retire from the Navy. And um, so- Congratulations. Thank you. But I, I will tell you that a work balance is one of those critical things. And, and for the younger people here, it can't be all about just the hours. What you need to do is plan time for your family. You need to plan time for yourself. Um, and you need to make sure that your work time is actually as efficient as you possibly can. And I, and I actually was very aware of all the time sucks because if it was 5 p.m. and I really hadn't started any of my projects, it was going to be another night when I missed dinner with the kids. And so I had to make sure that I, I forced that time while I still made marketing time, right? Because you can't just sit back and service your book. You've always got to be looking at how you're going to keep growing it. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. Great advice. Well, Steve, thank you for joining me on Cambridge Stronger. You're a perfect example of Cambridge Stronger for sure. 
And we really do appreciate the commitment and loyalty over the last 20 years. Hopefully we can continue to help you grow in the way you want to grow. And I hope you continue to find some exciting ways to spend the newly found free time you might have uh, just gained by that retirement. Well, thanks, Amy. And I really do, I want to thank Cambridge for all their support as well. I mean, the decision to go to Cambridge was pretty easy for me. Um, you know, when Jim first talked to me about you, it was such a great fit. And then I met some of the people and I thought, this is, this is a fantastic company. You're a lot smaller then, and it's been really exciting to see your growth through the years. I would like to tell everybody who's young, this is a great, great, great place to be. So with great leadership. Thank you for that. It's been an exciting ride. It has been. Thank you so much for being a part of it. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. Stronger.